If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 5. We'll be uh, in verses 12 through 16 this morning. As you're turning there, I have a little story. It was the fall of 1989. I was tasked with a job. Now, I will say, because my parents are here and they can testify, I was not the only one doing this job, but most of the time, I was the only one doing this job. It was a job that required two to three hours a week for about two months or so out of the year. I was picking up leaves, seeds, horse chestnut seeds, and shells from my great-grandmother, whom we affectionately called Granny, who I also was very terrified of. in the, uh, from her two enormous horse chestnut trees. I recall my nine-year-old self pleading with God to make the wind just blow extra hard and get everything down so it can just be done as the, the weeks dragged on to months. Uh, and this is very embarrassing, but I will, I will admit this. I even sang the song by the Imperials, Let the Wind Blow. If you're from the 80s and listen to Christian music, yes, I did. I was desperate. I pleaded with God just to bring it to an end. I was confident that God could do it, but I was uncertain whether he would. To my benefit, the strong wind never came, and my character was shaped by helping others. What I did not see then, I see now, is how healthy it was for a nine-year-old kid who just wanted to throw the baseball around with his buddies to serve someone in need, to learn persistence and hard work, especially when my attitude was, I like the hardly work, more like playing, and I tended to complain. No, those things came more natural. This was good for me. Now, the incident that we'll see in Luke's gospel today it carries a much greater consequence than the story I just told. The question the man asks in our text today, which we will look at, likely has been on many of our minds here today and maybe even spoken out by us at multiple times in our lives. God, if you are willing, you can. As the years have passed, Since those days of picking up horse chestnuts, I've had more fervent prayers, more serious prayers. My wife, Becky, bled for six weeks while we were pregnant with our second child. I prayed fervently, Lord, if you are willing. My prayers when it seemed as though we were going to lose three of our babies following the birth of our second child, I prayed fervently. Or my prayers now as a dad, as my daughter serves in in a very dangerous location. Or as my other daughter faces continual health challenges year after year. I pray fervently, Lord, if you are willing. These prayers carry more weight and significance than that of a nine-year-old saying, God, just let this torture be over. And I suspect, and I know many of you are praying prayers like that right now. Lord, if you are willing. Our text, as you can tell, carries a weight with it today. And before we drill down into these five verses, I think it would benefit us to take a step back 
and gain some perspective by looking at the literary context or the surrounding verses um, that, that follow, that come before and follow after our verses for today. So in chapter five, we see a pattern followed by an explanation or a purpose statement. And the point of this chunk of text in all of chapter five or most of chapter five Luke's main theme and the pattern that we see is that Jesus is calling sinners to repentance and he's restoring the broken to wholeness. As Pastor Mike pointed out last Sunday, Jesus called James and John and Peter to follow him. Peter, who falling down upon his knees before Jesus, acknowledged himself a sinner. He turned from likely the largest catch of his career of of fish to then Fishing for men. He left everything, Luke tells us. And so what we see in, this, in the larger scope of our text is that we see a pattern that Luke is using here. And I have it up on the screen. We see Jesus calling sinners. The incident last week, Peter left everything and followed him. And then we see two, two accounts of Jesus restoring the broken, the leper that we'll look at today And we see the paralytic. And then we see another calling of a sinner when Jesus calls Matthew, or who Luke knows, uh, or calls Levi, same same dude, two names. Matthew left everything and followed him. And then at the close of this chunk of text, Jesus gives a purpose statement. So when you see patterns like this in Scripture, you need to take note of them. Because this is how the authors of Scripture, these are the methods they use to communicate. And so we see a purpose statement given by Jesus in verse 31 and 32. When he's confronting the self-righteousness, the self-righteous, he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus gives a purpose statement. This is what I'm doing right now. He's calling sinners to repentance. He's restoring the broken. And so we're, we're zooming in on a, on a larger part of, of Luke's narrative, Luke's argument here, in that, that first account of restoring the broken. But make no mistake, Luke's main point in this portion of text, and what I believe he desires the readers to hold on to about Jesus in our verses today, is that Jesus came to call sinners to repentance and to restore the broken to wholeness. Therefore, to follow Jesus is to, in all circumstances, engage the hurting, demonstrate compassion over self-righteousness, and embrace humility over pride. Let's get into our verses for today. Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. Luke writes this. While he, being Jesus, was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy, And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering of your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and be healed of their infirmities. But he withdrew to desolate places and pray. So we see in this text, we see Jesus demonstrate 
immense compassion. Right in the first verses, Peter, in the preceding verses, declared his complete sinfulness. Luke begins to tell this story of an unnamed man who is in a very dire situation. Luke doesn't just say he's contracted leprosy. Luke says he is covered or full of leprosy. So it begs the question, what is leprosy? Why is it so terrible? Because leprosy is not a common thing in our day and age, but it was in biblical times. So leprosy in the Bible was a generic term for over 60 or so infectious skin diseases. Many of the diseases were highly contagious and were devastating to the communal life that they lived during ancient times, especially because personal hygiene was, well, a little less than ideal. Israel was a kingdom of priests. We see that at Mount Sinai, Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. God says they were a holy people, a kingdom of priests. As God had delivered them from slavery in Exodus out of Egypt, he, is, he begins to establish these ways or laws in which were to govern their actions, how they were to be as God's priestly kingdom. And as such, they were not to be unclean according to the law of Moses. Much was written about, about that, and specifically about leprosy. And, and actually, those unfortunate persons who contracted less leprosy were ostracized from the community. According to Jewish historian Josephus that lived in and around the time of Christ, he says that those who contracted leprosy were, quote, as if they were, in effect, dead persons, end quote. It is also recorded that the tradition of the rabbis was to refer, as, refer to those with leprosy as the walking dead. This was a serious disease, Scholar James Edward writes, Edwards writes on this when he says, quote, the social consequences of leprosy were perhaps worse than the illness itself. Leprosy was a sentence of social ostracism. The disease deprived victims not only of health, but of their names, occupations, social habits, families, fellowship, and worshiping communities, end quote. Leprosy was devastating. The Mosaic Law gives the following instructions for those who are shown to have contracted leprosy. Found in Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 and 46, Moses writes this. He says, The person with such an infectious disease must, one, wear torn clothing. He can't even look presentable. Two, let his hair be unkept. Three, cover the lower part of his face. And four, probably the most humiliating of all, he needs to announce every time he's in a social setting, unclean, unclean. He needs to cry out. Could you imagine how humiliating that would be? Leprosy was an absolutely devastating disease, physically, relationally, emotionally. The law forbade human contact even from your family members. You were, you were pushed out of the community. You were called to live or commanded to live in isolation or with those who had also contracted the disease. 
you were to present yourself at all times as an outcast of society, untouchable, even to the point of verbally announcing your presence as a warning to others. Not to mention the physical pain that they experienced as their body was deteriorating from the outside in. Leprosy was a devastating disease during Bible times. With that background, this account is astonishing. And Luke is intentional. He wants us to see what Jesus does here is astonishing. A religious teacher, a rabbi like Jesus, absolutely knew what the law had prescribed for such an unfortunate soul. Additionally, what's also surprising in this text is this man knew what he was risking. Luke tells us at the beginning of our verses that while he was, he being Jesus, was in one of the cities, the leper was not supposed to enter the cities. So he was risking much punishment, likely could have been fatal punishment for disobeying this regulation. He was taking a risk. Especially approaching a religious teacher who knew the law, who knew how lepers were to be treated within society. But this man had heard the accounts of Jesus not being like the other religious teachers. Word had spread through the region this teacher taught with authority. We've seen that already in, our, in the four chapters that we've gone through already. Chapter 4, verse 32, we see Jesus teaching with authority. We see Jesus demonstrating his authority over demons in chapter 4, verses 36 and 37. Luke tells us that Jesus was healing many people. In verse 40 of chapter 4, Jesus had demonstrated he had authority over sickness. Word was spreading about what Jesus was doing. This man had heard it. And in his desperation, he sought out Christ. Luke tells us that when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face. Which as we're reading in the larger context, we see Peter's response was similar, similar as well. When he recognized his sinfulness before Jesus, what did he do? He falls down before Jesus and admits his sinfulness. This man took the similar posture. He sees Jesus and he falls down before him. Now, whether this was an act of honor to Jesus or reverence to him as a teacher or whether it was an act of desperation or humility, I think it was probably a combination of all, but I think ultimately it was an act of worship. Because of the way that this man addresses Jesus by calling him Lord. See, this man understood his desperate condition. There was no hope for him in all Israel, or was there? This man did not doubt Jesus' ability, nor did he doubt who he was addressing. As I said, his plea was not, teacher, heal me, nor was it, son of David, have mercy on me. We hear those accounts in the Gospels, people calling for Jesus to intercede on their behalf. No, in humble desperation, he simply begged, Lord, if you are willing, you are able to make me clean. 
Again, there was no doubt as to Jesus' ability to heal. Nor was he confused about who Jesus was. Lord, as he falls down in worship before Jesus. But what is so striking to me in this account is his statement, if you are willing. There's a deep, humble recognition that sometimes God allows things in our lives for purposes unknown to us. There are times that we make our requests with the nuance of God's sovereign will. Jesus modeled this for us in the garden, right? When Jesus cries out, Father, if you are willing, Luke is using the same phrasing. We should pick up on that. If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's in Luke 22, verse 42. This man simply states, Lord, if you will or if you are willing, you can make me clean. Luke continues, not by stating Jesus' willingness, but by showing how Jesus demonstrated his willingness through a great act of compassion. Luke says that Jesus stretched out his hand in verse 13 and touched him. You can almost hear the gasping of the crowds behind him and see their hands move to their mouths or their eyes to cover. Like, what is he thinking? Teachers don't touch lepers. How could the teacher make him un- himself unclean like this? By touching the leper, he would surely contract leprosy. The, the crowd must have been thinking these things. But Jesus, full of compassion, reaches out extends toward the man, touches him, and says two words in the Greek, which we translate into English, I am willing, be clean. Luke then declares immediately, just like he declares in the text that we'll look at next week with the paralytic, immediately when Jesus acts and speaks, immediately there's a response. The leprosy responded to the voice of the Lord as the demons did back in verse 25, or as the demons did previously. And in verse 25, the, the paralysis does as well. At the command of God, there's immediate obedience. So we must ask the question as readers of this text how is it that Jesus did not become unclean? Right? The understanding was and likely became known as such by experience, that those who contacted leprosy contracted leprosy. Like that was known. You don't touch a leper because you would contract leprosy. This was not so with Jesus. Thabiti Anabwile writes this. He says, quote, Jesus possesses a holiness that is not defiled by touching the unclean. But with the touch, he cleanses the unclean. Jesus possesses a holiness that produces what the law requires but cannot produce. We will see in the coming weeks, the law of Moses serves its purpose. 
just as the Sabbath served its purpose. But here stands one who is Lord of the Sabbath, fulfiller of the law, truly and fully God as he is truly and fully human. And here we see his great compassion. He didn't have to touch the man. He could have spoken and the man would have been cleansed. But in compassion, he stepped forward, reached out, and touched the man, declared his desire to see him clean. But as we read through the text, we see that incident, but then we see Luke very quickly move to Jesus, giving a command to the man and then ending with prayer in the wilderness. So it's kind of baffling. Like, why didn't you linger on, on what just happened here? This is incredibly significant what Jesus just did. And Luke moves past it like, Meh. that's what, just what Jesus does. He does stuff like that. And then he finds himself in the wilderness praying. And I think this is, there's a reason for that. The purpose for that is, is that we see in the larger context, Jesus calling sinners to repentance, restoring broken to wholeness. But his mission, his mission is to save his people. The good news that Christ saves sinners. Therefore, to follow Jesus, like Peter and, and, and James and John, and, and in a few weeks, Matthew, as he's calling people to do, to follow Jesus in every circumstance, we're called to engage the hurting. Demonstrate compassion, embrace humility, and proclaim the gospel. And so verses 14 through 16, we see Jesus demonstrating, in the earlier verses demonstrating his compassion, in the latter verses demonstrating his purpose for the mission of why he came. Why did Jesus tell the man to obey the Mosaic law? And also to be quiet about it, not advertise this amazing life-changing event. Because Jesus' purpose was not solely to call sinners to repentance and heal the broken. That was part of his ministry. But his purpose was to bring salvation to his people by fulfilling the requirements of the law. Every last one. And so he tells this man, go observe the law, go do what you need to do. And then he says, don't advertise this because this ministry that Jesus just does in, in calling people to repentance and restoring the broken, that's not his main purpose for coming. Luke wants us to know that. Like Jesus is full of compassion, but he is also intentional in what he's here to do. And this is the gospel the good news that Christ saves sinners from our ultimate problem. You see, this man in this account, his ultimate problem was not leprosy. Leprosy temporarily separated him from society. His sin eternally separated him from his creator. His leprosy temporary con con temporarily condemned him from the community, but his sin eternally condemned him from righteousness. As I said, Peter recognized the same problem when confronted with Jesus 
as we will see next week in the paralyzed man, that, that our ultimate need, their ultimate need, is for God's forgiveness of sin. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is good news. Jesus' purpose and mission of coming to save those who are lost. This is good news. Christ did what the law and the prophets could not. He who knew no sin, Paul writes, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Leprosy was a temporary problem. Sin is an eternal problem. And the gospel points us toward the one and only solution. Jesus. Because Jesus came, because Jesus lived a perfect life, obedient to all that God had commanded, because Jesus died in our place as a sacrifice, because Jesus rose from the dead, proving that death had no power over him, that sin had no hold on him. Paul says, because the righteous one became sin, the one who knew no sin became sin, he did so that we might become the righteousness of God. So we're confronted this morning by this gospel. How do we respond to this? Our response ought to be like the leper. There is nowhere else to go but to fall at the feet of Jesus and to say, if you are willing. And the answer to that question has been answered at Calvary. We see the willingness of Christ. As he shed his blood, a perfect sacrifice, laying down his life, in our place so that we might be restored to God so that our greatest enemy, sin, might be rent powerless. His mission accomplished far more than healing the physical infirmities of a generation. His mission was the redemption of his people by the way of the cross. So Jesus found himself, and Luke makes very clear that we see this amazing event that happened, Jesus touching the leper and Jesus not being affected by the uncleanness of the, of the sinner, but Jesus cleansing the sinner by his word and his action. And then Luke moves very quickly on to Jesus being in the wilderness praying because Jesus' mission was, as I said, redemption of his people by the way of the cross. So he prayed, so he obeyed. And in these five short verses, we see what began with a leper in a city with a problem and a plea concludes with Christ in the wilderness having demonstrated compassion, 
having cured him of his disease, ending by demonstrating his purpose and prayer. Now, there there are many ways that we can apply this text. There's a lot in these five verses that should prick our hearts and stir us to action as God's word does. But to name two ways that we could apply this text. Like the prayers of my opening argument, I know there are many here today who have been desperately praying like that leper man. Lord, if you are willing. So in these five verses, friend, if that is you here this morning and you have a plea that you are bringing before the Lord, be encouraged. To Christ is where you ought to direct your prayers. This man was right to come and fall before the feet of Jesus because there was no solution anywhere else. Even in a kingdom of priests, Christ was the only solution. But as you make your plea, do so with a humble assurance that God alone is God. He's trustworthy. He knows what is best for us, even better than we do ourselves. He's not lacking knowledge or understanding. He's not lacking perspective. In fact, Scripture tells us he lacks nothing. He sees all. He understands all. Therefore, he can be trusted in our every circumstance, even our most desperate ones. So friend, look to Christ. As you face trials and struggles and heartache, look to Christ. As you enjoy joy and pleasure and and, and delight in this life, look to Christ. In all things, look to him. Fall before the feet of Jesus in reverent worship and trust him. A second application, possibly with this text, is an encouragement to those who call ourselves Christians. Call ourselves, that term Christian just means miniature Jesus, little Christ. In fact, actually, it was given as a derogatory term to the, to the early church when it was first given. Jesus wannabe. I'm, I'm good with that. You can call me that. Because it's true. If we want to follow the example of Christ, we too ought to spend our lives calling sinners to repent and showing compassion to the hurting. Let us not allow our lives to be so busy that we are unaware of those hurting around us. Let us bear with one another and bear one another's burdens and care for the sick and the poor and the needy among us. But let us do so with gospel intentionality, meaning that the gospel inspires us to do what we do. See, the problem with a lot of this social justice movement is it's just doing the good things for the sake of doing the good things. That's not what Scripture paints. That's not the picture Scripture paints. It's doing those good things for the sake of the gospel. Like the only reason that I would do this is not for making myself feel better or not for making our church look better or whatever motivation. The motivation behind 
what we do and why we do is to make Jesus look great because of what he has done. And that's declaring the gospel, friends. And so let the gospel motivate our actions. Let the gospel motivate our prayers as we face struggles, as we get to this point where we're saying, Lord, if you're willing, let the gospel be the spectacles, if you will, that we view everything in life. Conflict, tedious jobs, whatever is in your life. Let the gospel be what what filters our perspective. And may we follow Jesus. As he calls a sinner to repentance, so do we. As he restores the broken, so do we give comfort to the hurting. But knowing that like Jesus' mission was to come and bring salvation, our mission as the church, if you call yourself a Christian, our mission is to boast in the works of Christ. Proclaim the gospel. Say, this is who Jesus is, and this is what he has done. And to trust that Jesus saves sinners. Amen? Let us pray. God, this morning... I thank you for these five verses that carry much weight. God, I thank you that, that God, in the humility of this man, risking to approach Jesus, falling down in worship and asking the question that we have asked, many of us have asked many times, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You can remedy this situation. God, thank you for your compassion displayed through Christ. And that we can trust that as you demonstrated compassion toward this man, you also view us with the same compassion. Respond to us with mercy and gentleness. Thank you for your trustworthiness, for your kindness toward us. When we were completely undeserving, God, you showed kindness toward us. And as Paul writes, it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. So God, help us to see your kindness in our lives, even amidst difficulties, and challenges, and more so, God, amidst success. Because oftentimes, success blinds us more than trials. Help us to see your kindness. Help us also, for those of us who call ourselves Christians here today, help us to engage in the mission of proclaiming the gospel boasting about who you are, Jesus, and what you have done, just as we see Luke doing. May we also engage and not withdraw. May we also pursue, extend our hands in compassion as we've seen you do. May we also 
call sinners to repent and seek to bring comfort to the hurting. God, because we see you doing that. God, I ask that you would shape us and mold us into the image of Christ. For those here today who profess to be followers of you, Jesus, may you make us more and more like you. Not for our comfort, but for your glory, Jesus. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.